bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Paul Dragu. Neoconservatism is being exposed for what it is, and Ben Shapiro can't figure out why red-pilled figures like Tucker Carlson detest William F. Buckley Jr. Jack McManus will join us to explain how Buckley harmed Americanism. Also, Texas is going after Pfizer in a Lone Star-sized lawsuit. Joe Biden wants more money to continue his proxy war against Russia. And an abortion clinic is including instructions on satanic ceremonies. Yep. We have all that coming up. But first, is this safe to fly anymore? Considering the massive number of died suddenly report since the rollout of the COVID injection, this is certainly a question worth asking. As it happens, a highly qualified and experienced commercial pilot from Australia looked into this and he put together a report. His conclusion is alarming. The COVID vax, he says, is an impending disaster in the global aviation industry. The author of the report is Captain Shane Murdoch. He was a longtime pilot who was drummed out of his career for taking a stand against the shot. He was fired for serious misconduct, that being his refusal to get jabbed. Now, forcing long-term experts out of their careers reduces efficiency and capability. It takes out experts from critical industries like air transport, where skill and technical proficiency are literally a matter of life and death. Captain Murdoch is just such an expert. He has more than 22,000 hours of commercial flying experience. His resume includes being an airline captain for 31 years with certification in air accident investigation and other impressive achievements. Now, in his analysis of airline safety in the post-injection era, Captain Murdoch explained that airline safety is made up of what he calls the principles of layered security. This model, he says, likens human systems in aviation to multiple slices of Swiss cheese, which serve as mitigators. It's a system with randomly placed and randomly sized holes in each slice, stacked side by side. The idea is that the layers prevent a threat from becoming reality by stopping up a hole or a threat with another slice of mitigation cheese, if you will. Unfortunately, international COVID interventions, including mandated injections, have caused all the holes in the Swiss cheese of the layers of security to align. According to Murdoch, each of the potential mitigators has been breached, and a deadly accident is no longer a matter of if, but when. This should be of major concern to the traveling public and to all business stakeholders, Murdoch points out. Is he correct? One key point he makes is that all-cause mortality exploded after the injections rollout. Airline pilots and workers are not immune to these stats. They are just as likely to be impacted as anyone in any sector of the economy. In fact, Murdoch says the number of in-flight emergencies has skyrocketed. In his report, he said there was a percent increase in onboard emergencies of 272. In that, and that's just in 2022. And in the first three months of 2023, that increase was 386%. This is staggering. These rare May Day emergency events can include an uncontrollable fire, undercarriage problems, or more relevant to this discussion, an incapacitated pilot. Unfortunately, there have been many examples of incapacitated pilots in recent months. Murdoch included seven that happened just in March of 2023. 
These examples include the British Airways pilot who collapsed in a Cairo hotel and he died. He had been scheduled to fly an Airbus to London. Another example was the Virgin Australia flight on March 3rd that was forced to make an emergency landing after the first officer suffered a heart attack 30 minutes after departure. Data from the U.S. military underscores the danger of the shot, including to pilots. U.S. Navy Medical Service Corps Officer Lieutenant Ted Macy examined DOD data for active duty fixed wing and helicopter pilots and found significant increases in heart ailments post-facts. Here he is citing the increases of diseases among pilots. So we get hypertensive disease, 36 percent, ischemic heart disease, 69 percent, pulmonary heart disease, 62 percent, heart failure, 973 percent. Other forms of heart disease, 63%. Cardiomyopathy, 152%. So, is it safe to fly? Captain Murdoch said that it's very late in the day for mitigations to stave off what is coming, but there is at least one last opportunity. He said that insurers can mitigate their risk by changing their underwriting contracts with the stipulation that at least one pilot in every cockpit must be unvaccinated. He also believes the jab should cease to be administered and there should be an investigation into it, as well as appropriate compensation structures for all pilots who have been injured by the injection. So join me to discuss today's stories is the editor-in-chief of the New American Magazine, Gary Benoit. Hello, Gary Benoit. Hello, Paul. How are you? Well, good. I'm good. Uh, more troubling news, of course. Uh, this makes me... I have another reason to hate flying, but obviously this is more concerning than that. There's obviously implications on the industry as a whole and so many other industries that obviously depend on flight. We fly lots of people and I'm sure others do. What do you make of this news? Is this surprising to you? It's not the least bit surprising and uh, it is very scary. And it's very scary, not just because what's happening in the airline sector, because obviously millions upon millions of people have got vaccinated and uh uh and those people who did are not just airline pilots they're they're people in the military for example and uh, uh of course uh, uh you showed a clip from from uh, ted macy mm -hmm. and he was talking about uh helicopter pilots uh, uh other pilots in, in the military but it's much broader than that and so it's a life and death situation involving the military as well as the airline industry. Well, that would make but, it a security, national right, security issue. But let's look issue. at other sectors. Uh, how about a bus driver? Uh, you know, how about, uh, uh, you know, people in other sectors of society? Uh, uh, let's say uh, a, a doctor, for instance, who's performing surgery. And could something happen to him yeah. uh, in the middle of performing that uh, security? So uh, it's all across uh, the board. And, uh, you know, the evidence has been mounting to the point where it's beyond a reasonable doubt, Paul, yeah. that these vaccines that were supposed to protect us uh, are actually killing many more people than they've protected, and it's a long-term health problem. It absolutely is, and I hope that um, this isn't going to cause the kind of damage that 
uh, Captain Murdoch says is coming. Again, we fly quite often. I have noticed in the last few times I've flown that the um, the services have gotten slower. You know, we talked about these, I guess, these landing issues. I've noticed several issues of that. I don't know why they're happening necessarily. There could be lots of things. But we also know that the airline industry is doing crazy things like thinking about having like diversity quotas. And so it seems like it keeps getting more dangerous. And again, we can't afford the airline industry to become um, something that we can't have, right? Because right. it's like that would really affect uh, industry and the society as a whole, at least Western industry. Sure. And you mentioned the, the diversity quotas. And of course, that affects other industries as well. But uh, there are a number of things that are happening. And, and of course, we do have those quotas in the uh, uh, the military. Yes. And, and of course, the whole purpose of the military uh, is not for the purpose of social experimentation. Yeah. It's for the purpose of winning our wars in order to protect the freedom of uh, the United States of America and the freedom of American citizens. Absolutely. And um, I, we're going to see what's what's going to how this is going to come about. Hopefully more information will come about. And hopefully I, I really do hope that the captain, um, his dire warnings won't come to fruition in the sense that he seems to say that it is coming. Gary, I appreciate you. We're going to look at another VAC story after this. But first, folks, for more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you can't get anywhere else, you need to have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. The New American Magazine has been telling the truth about the attacks on our nation from within and without since 1985. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than The New American. You get a subscription online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top and then subscribe on the drop down. If you prefer, you can call and get your subscription. Call 800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. Coming up. Texas is coming after Pfizer for deceptive practices involving its COVID injection. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's issue of the New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20END20. Texas is taking on Pfizer in a high-stakes lawsuit. Last week, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed a lawsuit against the pharma giant. According to Paxton, 
Pfizer engaged in false, deceptive, and misleading acts and practices by making unsupported claims regarding the company's COVID-19 vaccine, which he says violates the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act. Now, Paxton argues that Pfizer's vaccine didn't live up to the 95% efficacy rate that it claimed. He said, quote, COVID-19 cases increased after widespread vaccine, vaccine administration, and some areas saw a greater percentage of deaths from COVID-19 among the vaccinated population than the unvaccinated, end quote. The suit also describes how Pfizer intimidated and silenced critics on social media. Paxson told Fox News that Pfizer relied on the government to protect it, and it did not test the shots properly. Listen. So look, everything's on the table. They have relied on federal protection, and I think because of that, they didn't do the right testing. And then when they found out that this vaccine wasn't effective and that wasn't effective for very long, and that potential side effects were very negative to some people, they didn't disclose that. They tried to suppress that evidence. Well, now in this court process, which has already been filed, we're going to find out the truth. The American people can know. My people can know. And I think it's pretty important for the future of our country that people know what actually happened so they can make decisions next time about whether they should trust companies like this before they test the vaccine. By the way, we have a statement from Pfizer. Pfizer says that they are deeply committed to the well-being of the patients that they serve and have no higher priority than the safety and effectiveness of its treatments and vaccines. The representations made by the company about its COVID-19 vaccines have been accurate and science-based. Well, we'll see if Ken Paxton, um, it, you, what do you say to that statement? Well, I, I say they, they're, they're not telling the truth. And, and I think as we go through this litigation, we go through discovery, we already know that they claimed that it was 95% effective. We already know that number's not even close. And so we're going to we're gonna get to the bottom of this and we're going to let Pfizer know and all these other companies, are, they're not going to get away with this in Texas because we have our own laws that can protect our citizens and that's my job. Texas is asking for more than $10 million in compensation and it's urging the court to prohibit Pfizer from lying about its vaccine's effectiveness. He also asked the court to block the company from coordinating with social media platforms to censor truthful speech about the efficacy or lack of the Pfizer shots. All right, Gary. So um, I imagine this may be another reason why they worked so hard to keep Ken Paxton out of that AG's office. He was trouble also during the elections. Uh, obviously, this would be just speculation on our part, but uh, I'm curious to see where this is going. And I'm, I imagine, like I said, uh, this is another reason they don't like Paxton. Can you imagine, Paul, having an attorney general who is interested in truth and justice? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> what, what is the world coming to, huh? Right, right. They, <laughs> he, I, he actually wants to get at the, the truth. Yeah, yeah. And and those things are obviously true, especially the part about uh, Pfizer claiming 95% efficacy. That is clearly not the case. Uh, we the, As the evidence comes, and of course it would have come out faster had it not been suppressed and had right. the, the political powers that are in power worked so hard to make sure it doesn't. And, and of course it, a lot of people were beguiled as, as a result of that propaganda and a lot of people died as a consequence, died as a, a consequence of COVID policies. Yeah. And uh, one of the people who was censored, by the way, was Dr. Robert Malone, uh, who uh, was one of the pioneers. In fact, he was the pioneer uh, in terms of developing the uh, 
uh, mRNA technology yeah. uh, that was then used by others to uh, develop these uh, vaccines. So if anyone had a right to talk about it, it was Dr. Robert Malone. And of course, he's been very critical of how uh, this yeah. technology has been used and all the people were dying and whatnot. And he was censored by social media. Wow, he was a purveyor of misinformation, Gary. <laughs> All right, speaking of misinformation, let's go talk, look, let's look at the war in Ukraine there. Uh, so the White House sent a letter to congressional leaders on Monday asking for more money for Ukraine. It warned that if Congress doesn't pass another funding package, there'll be no more money to fund our proxy war against Russia. There is no magical pot of funding available to meet this moment. We are out of money and nearly out of time. That was from Office of Management and Budget Director Shalanda Young. Now, some Republicans say any more money to the war-torn Eastern European country has no chance without border security funding and policies here at home, where we've been incurring an invasion of millions of migrants a year since Joe Biden stepped into the White House. House Speaker Mike Johnson responded to the White House's letter on Monday. He said, quote, the Biden administration has failed to substantively address any of my conference's legitimate concerns about the lack of a clear strategy in Ukraine, a path to resolving the conflict, or a plan for adequately ensuring accountability for aid provided by American taxpayers. You don't say, you know, Gary, I find it interesting because I'm pretty sure that we don't even know where a lot of this money goes or went, right? Wasn't there some sort of talk about a committee or something to figure out if the money is actually going where it's supposed to be going? Well, we do know it's going for uh, Ukraine, right? But I'm sure a lot of it is going for the corruption on the part of the regime in Ukraine. Uh, yeah. Ukraine. And that's something we always need to keep in mind is the difference between the rulers of a country and the people who are mm-hmm. oppressed by those those rulers. There, There is a difference. Yeah. Well, and the regime in Ukraine is very uh, corrupt. So I'm sure it's not all going into the battlefield. But even if it were all going into the uh, the battlefield to support the Ukrainian war effort, uh, is that how U.S. tax dollars should be spent? No. No, it's and not. I agree. No, it's not. I mean, remember when Mike Pence said during the debate before he dropped out, he has mm-hmm. dropped out, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> he said, uh, I believe it was Tucker Carlson in Iowa. He asked him, he's like, hey, we have all these problems here. And he included, obviously, the border mm-hmm. problem. Uh, wh- how does it make sense to, to continue this war? Which, by the way, they, they were never going to win. They're right. not. They're not going to win. It was, never, it was never even close. And Mike Pence said we can do both. But. We can't. We can't. Right. You look around. And you said we, we can do more than that. Uh, you know, I don't know if Mike Pence would be able to find a war that he uh, wouldn't like getting the Ameri- Americans uh, involved with. Yeah, and and this is especially interesting because there have been multiple reports, and there's reason to believe that they are working on a truce right now. They're working mm-hmm. on a peace treaty. Uh, finally, Western leaders have said, "Okay, this is it's time to to put this thing to an end." It's clear that Russia is not going to lose. They are going to wait, throw wave after wave after people. That's the way they work. And you, there's there has to be something else. And then, of course, there's the Israel Hamas war. Yes, and so that's taking a lot of attention. What are your thoughts on 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 this truce, on this supposed truce uh, negotiations that may be happening uh, in Ukraine? Yeah. Over Ukraine. Have you okay. heard anything? You think? Uh, no, no, I have not. But my thought is that we should not be involved, that we should follow the, the foreign policy of our founding fathers, which is a foreign policy of non-interventionism, a foreign policy of putting uh, America first. And uh, so we should not be funding that war. And, uh, uh, and certainly we should not put troops on, on the ground. And, and the thing is, we're dealing with a very dangerous situation because we're a member of, of NATO and under the uh, NATO uh, charter, 
an attack or what happens to any country that's a member of that alliance is supposed to be treated by all the other members, uh, including the United States, as if, as if that were done to the United States itself. Yeah. And so we should get out of NATO, and of course we should get out of its parent organization, the United Nations. Well, what about Israel? Should we continue funding Israel too? Because we like Israel. Well, uh, yes. Yeah, so Israel is a legitimate country, and if I were to live in Israel, excuse me, live in the Middle East, I certainly would choose Israel over any of its neighbors. I'm, I'm yeah. sure you would do, Paul. But, but not only would I stop uh, foreign aid to Israel, I would stop foreign aid to Israel's in, uh, enemies. enemies, and I would treat Israel as the adult responsible nation. Uh, that it is, and if that were done all along, I don't think that Israel would be having so much trouble with uh, terrorism and with Hamas today, uh, because that terrorism and Hamas is an outgrowth of uh, foreign policy uh, on the part of the United States as well as uh, Israel. Thank uh, you, Gary. Thank I you. appreciate it. That was very good. So, folks, the New American just released our latest collector's edition, Bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Now, without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we can't be free. This Polished Collector's Edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics. The authors are experts on their topics in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. Next up, abortion advocates are showing their true colors as some clinics are providing instructions on how to include a satanic ceremony with your abortion. We're not making this up. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Welcome back, folks. So the smutty fashion tabloid Cosmopolitan Magazine is teaching its social media followers how to perform their own satanic abortion ceremonies at home. In a series of recent Instagram posts, Cosmopolitan has been promoting a telehealth clinic in New Mexico operated by the Satanic Temple. Their facility is named Samuel Alito's Mom Satanic Abortion Clinic, a jab at the U.S. Supreme Court justice who wrote the opinion that overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, the clinic provides mail-order abortion pills within state lines until the 11th week of pregnancy. It also includes instructions for those who want to throw in a satanic ceremony with their pill-induced abortion. The clinic doesn't offer surgical serv services. Now, images in the Cosmo posts are blood-red with marks of upside-down crosses and pentagrams, along with sample ritual instructions. But the posts seem to be backfiring. Most comments are negative, including one that reads, child sacrifice has been around for a long time. Now abortion is being exposed for what it truly is. 
When the Satanic Abortion Clinic opened this past February, Satanic Temple Minister Chalice Blythe told Fox News that her organization's goal is to expand into other states, including those with strict pro-life laws, by using the shield of protections enumerated in the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Listen. Um, our plan is to uh, make our services, uh, the material support for the religious abortion ritual to um, people in other states, including ones that uh, have prohibitions. Uh, at that time, we would definitely be utilizing our rights under RIFRA to make that possible. Cosmo brags that it might just be the most genius reproductive justice play of our time. Now, one of the many ironies of this story is that Cosmopolitan claims a mission to empower young women and propel them toward a fun, fearless future. However, what Cosmo and the Satanists are really doing is endangering women's lives. Dr. Christina Francis is president of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs and warned the New American about the danger that self-administered abortion pills pose to pregnant women who have ectopic pregnancies. Here's what she said. People giving them these pills have no way of knowing whether or not that pregnancy is in the uterus or not. And if they take these pills, one, the pills don't end an ectopic pregnancy. They're not effective treatment for that. And two, the symptoms of a ruptured ectopic pregnancy are exactly the same as the symptoms of a medication abortion, which are abdominal pain and vaginal bleeding. And so women are going to be losing precious minutes at home thinking that these symptoms are perfectly normal when in fact they're rupturing their ectopic pregnancy. And if they don't seek medical treatment immediately, they could die from this. This is extremely dangerous. Again, no matter where you stand on the issue of abortion, you should be opposed to this. This is frank medical malpractice and should not be being advocated for by any medical groups whatsoever. Dr. Francis also said that necessary blood type screening for women with negative blood types is not performed in these mail order scenarios, a situation that potentially endangers a patient's future pregnancies. Finally, she pointed out that human traffickers are forcing abortions on their victims by using mail order pills. She called it the perfect setup for a trafficker or an abuser. All right, Gary, so this shouldn't be surprising. Um, I've always thought that abortions are are a thing of the devil. So uh, I guess this probably doesn't, <laughs> I know how you feel about abortion. This doesn't come as a surprise to you either, huh? Uh, none whatsoever. Uh, if it's surprising at all, it, it's simply the fact that it's being identified as satanic. Obviously it is satanic, but here we have people uh, uh, who are in the abortion industry acknowledging, in fact, celebrating that it is satanic. So uh, in that sense, maybe it's a good thing that they're being more honest, but uh, yeah. it makes you wonder, Paul, when are people going to wake up? Uh, obviously, a lot of people have. A lot of people do realize yeah. that abortion is murder, that it's the killing of innocent uh, human life. But why is it that uh, so many people think abortion's okay or they acquiesce? Um, you yeah. know, uh, let's not outlaw abortion. And I can't help thinking of, of Nazi Germany. And of course, what happened there was uh, satanic, de demonic as well, where millions of people were, were killed because they were Jewish. And yeah. uh, that happened, of course, because uh, uh, they were treated as being subhuman. The same thing is happening with, with human babies uh, in the womb. They're treated as if uh, they're, they're not They're not human. human. Absolutely. It's tragic. And hopefully this helps people understand, at least red pill some people. Thank you, Gary. Let's look at our next story. Last week, Tucker Carlson agreed that William F. Buckley Jr. was one of the great villains of the 20th century. And Ben Shapiro of the Daily Wire can't figure out why Carlson would agree to such a thing. After all, wasn't Buckley a great conservative champion? Listen to this interesting clip, which starts with Shapiro. Meanwhile, there are people on the right 
who are who are simultaneously doing much the same thing. There's like a group on the libertarian right who, who sound very much like Noam Chomsky on the left, who sound very much like Bernie Sanders on foreign policy. I, I, I don't know what to make of that other than they're just wrong. So Tucker Carlson yesterday, he uh, he did a show with a comedian uh, and um, and this comedian, I guess, is a libertarian. And Tucker Carlson was talking with this guy and this guy started ripping into William F. Buckley and it led to this kind of odd exchange. Whatever this atrophy in like the intelligence of the American people, it's I think it's accelerating. I mean, it's a look. And again, just like you said, I'll disclaimer as well. I'm talking about people who I don't necessarily like. Like I view Bill Buckley as one of like the great villains of the 20th century. I think he ruined. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yes, but but he was. A clearly very also CIA, by the way, but he was also a very intelligent guy and witty and was not speaking down to his audience. And and like again, again Tucker's a super talented broadcaster, and I think Tucker's a smart guy. I'm just wondering why, like, I would love for him to explicate why he thinks Bill Buckley was one of the worst forces of the 20th century. Like, that'd be good to know. I mean, Bill Buckley was the most prominent conservative of the 20th century. Tucker didn't always dislike Buckley. Shapiro alluded to this when he mentioned that Tucker wrote for Buckley's National Review in the 1990s. And earlier this year, the New Yorker published an essay called The World According to Tucker Carlson, which said that for the first half of his career, Tucker Carlson was a William F. Buckley Jr. style Beltway neoconservative. He wrote for the Weekly Standard and he appeared on C-SPAN and CNN. But the conservative coalition has changed and Buckley has been dead for years. So instead of asking, as Shapiro does, why Carlson dislikes Buckley so much, perhaps a better question is, why did Carlson change his mind about Buckley? Carlson's shift has nothing to do with the so-called conservative coalition changing. There's been a war between neoconservatives and constitutional-minded conservatives within the Republican Party for a long time. Nor does it have anything to do with Buckley being dead for a long time. Instead, you might say, Carlson was red-pilled. In the clip that we played earlier, The person who calls Buckley one of the great villains of the 20th century is libertarian Dave Smith, on whose show Carlson appeared. Earlier in that same interview, Carlson says that a trip to Iraq in 2003 changed his view of everything. Listen. Well, I I think the the slur was, and it was rooted in truth probably, is if you were against American military, the projection of American military force, you were against America. You didn't have self-confidence. You were personally probably... But you also didn't believe in your country or its ideals or its foreign projects. And I mean, I I certainly trust me, I employed that slur on TV. I mean, I was in TV since I was in my you know mid 20s. So I had a lot of years of repeating these uh, these slogans, which were completely false. And I just wasn't self-aware enough to know that what I was doing. But the point is, 20 years ago this week, weirdly, I went to Iraq in the winter of 2003 and I won't be boring, but I'll just say in one sentence that completely changed my view of everything because it turned out what I had been claiming, espousing, hoping for was all totally false. And so that set off a chain reaction in my head. And by the time I got back to Washington, where I lived, my views had completely changed. I mean, it was in Coit at that point. I wasn't exactly sure what I believed, but I know what I didn't believe, which was everything I had been saying. And I said this out loud and immediately lost, you know, an awful lot of friends who took it much more seriously than I thought they would and who were not interested in in intellectual inquiry or, or thinking really at all. Um, they were very lockstep Stalinists. And I didn't know that. I don't know how I'd been living among these people. Some of them were very bright, um, but I just didn't get it. And some of them truly hated me and to this day hate me 
just because I reassessed on the basis of evidence. So what does this have to do with William F. Buckley? And why does Carlson now agree that he's one of the great villains of the 20th century? Now, even though Shapiro may be perplexed, the answer seems self-evident. Buckley was a neoconservative leader who did much to lead unsuspecting conservatives down the dangerous path of foreign interventionism that has been so harmful to America. In fact, Buckley's role in leading conservatives astray was so consequential that President Emeritus of the John Birch Society, John F. McManus, titled his 2002 book about the man, William F. Buckley Jr. Pied Piper for the Establishment. After this, Jack McManus is going to join us. I, I certainly would not want a constitutional convention. I mean, whoa. <laughs> Who knows what would come out of that? Just imagine if we have a constitutional convention, the number of people who will be unhappy and the number of people who say the results are not valid, and then they'll just ignore the entire constitution. What we need are just more people that would read the one we have. It isn't the constitution that's the problem. It is the people who ignore the constitution that usurp power and abuse the constitutional power that they ostensibly have. If you can't enforce an existing piece of paper, how are you going to enforce a piece of paper that has a little more writing to it? In other words, it's been amended. It's up to us to hold our elected officials accountable. What can you do to elect good representatives and senators in your state legislature who understand the Constitution and are willing to take a stand? Welcome back, folks. So I'm joined by the former president of the John Birch Society, John F. McManus. And jo John, or Jack as we call him, is also the author of Pied Piper for the Establishment. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. Nice to be with you again. So, so Jack, I understand that you too were once a fan of William F. Buckley Jr. You no longer are so, but uh, how did you get from not being a fan of Buckley here and to uh, where you stand now? Uh, and how you realized what William F. Buckley really was. Well, in the early 1960s, I was a, an electronics engineer, and one of my co-workers heard me say something that was fairly stupid. So he <laughs> said to me, you ought to know better. I said, well, what ought I ought to know? He says, well, do you, read, do you read any magazines? I said, not regularly, no. He said, well, I read National Review magazine, and it would be a good idea if you did too. And he left it at that. So I said, well, give me a sample. So we brought in a sample issue of the magazine. I read it and I said to myself, well, this is good stuff. So I started reading it and I was voraciously in favor of it. And uh, then he started attacking the John Birch Society. That was, that was very much in vogue in those days back in 62. He being Buckley. So Buckley... Um, so I started reading it, and, and then I went to a Birch meeting. I said to myself, if the, if the Birch Society is as bad as what uh, Buckley says about it, I want to know about it so I can help to defeat it. So I went to a meeting, and I was surprised at the meeting to find sensible people. And they, they were selling a book, a, a, a carton of books they call A Dozen Candles. Mm -hmm. So my friend and I... Uh, divvied up the money to buy the book, the books. And I went home and I read the books. And after I finished reading some of those books, I said to myself, there's something wrong here. Uh, Buckley's supposed to be a conservative and these are conservative writers. They're very good writers and they're putting out important information that's been smothered. So 
um, I started wondering about maybe I maybe I had made a mistake and maybe Buckley wasn't the the uh, the great hero that he was supposed to be. So yeah. Uh, so so who is Buckley? That seems now people are starting to come around. It's uh, 20, 30 years too late. Uh, the John Birch Society, as you mentioned, has been on to Buckley for quite some time. Who is William F. Buckley? What destruction did he do to conservatism and Americanism? Well, <clears throat> I have a list of things that I put down there. He, he, he praised Norman Thomas, a great socialist. He, he uh, defended Richard Nixon, who claimed that he was now a Keynesian, uh, Keynesian in economics, that's socialism. Mm -hmm. Buckley wanted wage and price controls. He dignified the United Nations and even became appointed as a representative of the United Nations and joined one of its agencies. He defended Jimmy Carter in the Trilateral Commission. He wanted to start a constitutional convention. He didn't like the, con the Constitution. Um, he promoted homosexuality. He promoted abortion, supposedly a, a, a Catholic promoting abortion. He... Uh, promoted pornography. He wanted compulsory schooling under government control. He, he wanted billions for the USSR to be sent to, by the United States government. He uh, wanted the same for the International Monetary Fund. <clears throat> he attacked the Second Amendment. Huh. That doesn't he sound very conservative. None of these. No. Th <laughs> he... He favored the Kyoto Protocol, which was the beginning of the uh, UN's decision to phase out fossil fuels and and have have America go dark. And on and on you go, you know. But um, I, I like to start off with Buckley being a graduate of Yale University and a member of the Skull and Bone Society at Yale. In 1962, after spending his his first year as a graduate as a member of the CIA, which I don't favor, he wrote an article for Wheel, a Catholic Weekly magazine. And what he said in 1952, we've got to accept big government for the duration. Given our present government skills, except through the instrumentation of a totality bureaucracy 1952 an article in commonweal magazine written by william buckley he just returned from a year of living in mexico and and uh, with the cia he said we in the article he said we've got to accept big government for the duration for neither an offensive nor a defensive war can be waged and if they deem soviet power a menace to our freedom as i happen to do they will have to support large armies and air forces, atomic energy, central intelligence, war production boards, and the attendant centralization of power in Washington, even with Truman at the reins of it all. Now, that didn't sound to me like a a, a good conservative. It sounded to me like a guy who'd uh, bellied up to them and, and made made friends with them yeah. and became one of them. Was was he a was he a fake conservative? Uh, and did he did his he... list of uh, things that were non-conservative is is immense, and of course the book that I wrote contains all of that information. 
Yeah. Jack, tell me about how the destruction that he caused by fooling people that he was conservative, because that essentially is the crux of it, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, it's it's safe to say that the John Birch Society has never had a worse enemy than William Buckley. Uh, he, he took plenty of sound thinking people away from even investigating the John Birch Society with his, mm-hmm. his, his continued rant against the society and and against the notion of conspiracy. Yeah. That was that was the, that was the idea there was that he thought that everything that was happening this deterioration that Robert Welch believed was intentional. Buckley on the other hand thought it was just uh just a lot of ineptitude and nothing nothing nefarious at at its foundation, correct? Well, that's right. I mean, he he didn't consider it ineptitude. He he considered the the mistakes that were being made by our government as brilliant. And uh I, I had I had discovered uh, through through buying some books from the Birch Society that there was another side to a lot of these questions. Yeah. So I probed deeper into it, and I eventually joined the Birch Society, and um, and then I I left my job as an electronics engineer and and became a, a member of the staff of the Birch Society in 1966. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel now that everyone's coming around and tell us what the solution is? Obviously, I would imagine the solution is in part joining the John Burr Society. We're facing a conspiracy and the way to destroy a conspiracy is to expose it. And we've done a good job in that regard, but we have had a lot of interference run for the conspiracy by William Buckley and others. And uh, it's, it's, there are people today who should take a look at the John Birch Society. They're disturbed. America is full of people that are disturbed about what's happening. And and all I say is, well, take a look at the Birch Society and see what we're saying. And if you do, you, you might find yourself willing to be a member of the Birch Society and help us to expose a great conspiracy. Yes, yes. And we have several, several projects. I mean, I don't know if you want to add to this, but the Birch Society, of course, has uh, as chapters from 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 coast to coast and we attack at the root that's the idea of what we do right we don't we don't just attack issues we attack the root of the problem exactly i mean this these things that are being done by our own government are not stupid they're calculated uh to to destroy our country from within Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 that's of course what the john birch society has always said and buckley repeatedly uh, disparaged the Birch Society. Every every opportunity he had, he he said, "Oh, the Birch Society, a bunch of conspiracy nuts, or something yeah. like." Yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, we've been vindicated. Uh, I guess it's fortunate in one way, but it's unfortunate that it's it's true. Thank you, Jack McManus, former president of the John Birch Society and the author of Pied Piper for the Establishment, William F. Buckley Jr. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the New American Daily. Remember to visit the newamerican.com for more truth behind the news.